Welcome to the first episode of Quiet Please. My name is John Rathouse. I've been a golf caddy on the PGA Tour for the last 18 years. I'm excited to partner with Herd at Media now on this podcast, Quiet Please, a golf podcast. We're going to enjoy talking about the traditions of the game, but definitely have an eye towards the future, all the cool stuff that's going on in the game right now. Our first guest is Paul McGinley, one of the great Ryder Cup heroes for Team Europe, an Irishman that I had a chance to meet at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. You can now see him on Sky Sports and live from for the Golf Channel. Fantastic commentating that he does. We covered a lot of ground for this episode, reminiscing about his Ryder Cup past, match play. Of course, he's right in the thick of it on all the big issues in the game of golf right now. It's a great listen. I hope you enjoy <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we got the first ever episode of, of Quiet, Please, and I'm joined now by Paul McGinley, four-time winner on the European Tour, uh, winning Ryder Cup captain 2014. Now, really great commentator with Sky Sports, with Live From Golf Channel. Paul, thanks for taking some time out this morning. Thanks, John. Nice to see you again. I hope all's going well. Yeah, it's good to see you, too. I was thinking back, I mean, you know, for, for our listeners, you know, we first met at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. Uh, I was caddying for Seamus Power. We had Padraig Harrington there, Ronan, of course, and you were the captain for uh, Team Ireland for the men and the women, and, and that was the first time I met you. It's hard to believe that was six years ago. Yeah, I know. You know, it was one of the greatest experiences I've had uh, in my career, as great as the Ryder Cups have been. Uh, John, I put it right up there. You know, uh, I have this saying at home. You know, when it touches the heart, when 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 whatever you do touches the heart, um, you know, it goes to another level. And certainly the Olympics did. You know, uh, being there, being in the, the humility you get being all around all these athletes. You know, when you're coming from this wealthy, rich sport that golf is, and then you see the effort and 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 the appreciation of these sport these, these sports men and women coming in uh, as part of Team Ireland, and it, it makes you incredibly. Uh, uh, it's very humbling. I have yeah. to say, it's very humbling. And sometimes we, we lose the run of ourselves in this rich sport that we're involved in. Uh, and when you're in the Olympics, really, is, is a great place to, for grounding. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'd love all of the golfers to absolutely make being an Olympian and, and playing, uh, if they get an opportunity to play for the country, going there. Because it's not just the trying to win a gold medal. It's the experience of being around other athletes and the effect that it has on you and representing your country. Yeah, for sure. I it was, It's right up there for me as well. It's, it's incredible to hear you say that it's just up there with the Ryder Cup for you too. And we had a blast going to all the events as well. We saw Michael Phelps, you know, setting world <laughs> records. We were sneaking in to the pool, the warm-up pool. We shouldn't have been there, but we just acted like Don't we owned the place. Don't give away our secrets, John. Everywhere. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. I don't think there was a spot we missed. I mean, <laughs> no. It was amazing how we were able to get access to these places. We, we certainly did. It, it was great. Yeah, and then I think the last time I saw you was then in 2019 was at La Hinch. I was caddying for Seamus yeah. there in the Irish Open. And, uh, man, what a treat for myself to kind of go over there. My wife went as well, and we were hanging out in the town, and, and that golf course is simply incredible and I know I looked I was kind of looking up a little bit more about you and you were the winner of the south of Ireland which is a great golf tournament there in 1991 at La Hinch uh, I guess what are your memories uh maybe not from that as much but just 
you're a golf course design guy. Just so people who don't know or maybe have a chance one day to go over and play Lahinch, just about how special that place is. Yeah, I mean, it's been referred to as the as the uh, St. Andrews of Ireland. Uh, you know, it is quirky. A lot of people call it quirky. It's, um, you know, it's up and down hills. The goats are wandering around the golf course. you got an, a blind par three where you basically hit over the stone. The stone moves every day. It's a tiny, tiny little green. you got to try and get the club right. Um, and so, you know, there is a bit of quirkiness to it, but there's also some uh, amazing uh, holes on it as well, too. And, you know, Mackenzie, all back those years, you know, who did Augusta National, his hands were on it at the very start there. And he set the wheel in motion there right on the on, on the shores of the Atlantic. There's some fantastic holes on it, but it's the atmosphere about the place. And that's why I was keen when I was hosting the Irish Open to bring it down there was because I knew it would be very atmospheric and I knew that people would love it. It's like the Hinch town is like your favorite aunt, you know, everybody loves going there. Uh, and the 18th hole and the golf course goes right up into the middle of the town with the bars and the restaurants all sitting around it. Um, and I knew it would be great. I knew it would be electric, and it was. Yeah, it was really good. And then that fifth hole you mentioned, I think it's the fifth, the Dell, I think they call it. And somebody yeah. said the caddies there, like that's the number one spot for Americans to make a hole-in-one because they'll kind of <laughs> figure out a way to sneak a ball into the hole there because nobody can see what's going on on the green. I know. They had that issue a few years ago where they used to have a buddy hiding in behind the hill, and when the Americans hit it over, they wouldn't know, of course, and they get up there and the ball was in. So, of course, it was tips, $100 bills for everybody and drinks for everybody. The ball, of course, didn't go in at all. So the, the, the club twigged onto that and they had to put a camera in there to make sure that if all of one was going to be, it was going to be authentic. Seamus had an all-time up and down from the hill there one, one day, I remember. Um, yeah. I was watching the, the first episode of the new season of Ted Lasso the other night. Are you, uh, are you a Ted yeah. Lasso fan at all? I loved it. Yeah, I haven't seen the new set season yet, but I loved it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge soccer fan, and uh, yeah, I love that show. Well, one of the things, and you'll find out when you watch it, and I don't know, maybe you're already aware of this, because I saw you're also a West Ham fan, that the yeah. the West Ham is part of the new season. So right, okay. the villain, Nate, is now coaching at West Ham. Okay, I, thought okay. That was yeah, I look forward to seeing that. I see it's being promoted at the moment, and I'll definitely watch it. One of those things to watch on, on, on an airplane. I still haven't watched the uh, the, the golf one yet. I'm, I'm still watching a, a bit of the Netflix one. I've, I've only I've watched kind of two episodes, so I need to catch up on that. But yes, I, get, I got plenty flying time, so that's when I normally catch up on that. Well, yeah, and you flew the full swing. I do recommend that. I watched it through once, and my favorite episode was probably the Joel Damon and uh, his caddy Gino yeah. Benelli. That was a great one, yeah. and then Rory Rory had a nice one at the end. But you did you mentioned you flied. Uh, over your landed in Austin, Texas last night. It's the match play this week. I mean, when this airs, we'll kind of know the winner next week. But I do want to talk to you a little bit about match play. Uh, I mentioned earlier your successful record as a Ryder Cup captain. And then I, I didn't realize this, but f- 14 teams you were on as a kind of a vice captain, a captain, a player, and 13 of the 14 times. I think that's correct. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. You guys hoisted the cup. So, I mean, match play runs in your blood. Yeah, yeah, I was very fortunate. You know, you're, when you're on a team, you're as good as your teammates and uh, very fortunate being an era in Europe where we had a huge amount of success and, you know, great match players like Westwood and Garcia, the RNE, the guys have gone to live. You know, they were, they were great, great match players and, you know, we all learned so much from them and they were the fulcrum. They were the base of all our success, particularly when it comes to Ryder Cups. And, you know, growing up in Ireland as well too, John, we've got a brilliant, um, you know, I was late to the game. At 19 years old, I was like five or six handicapped. I was never going to be a pro. I came to the game late. Um, and uh, but one one of the things we have in Ireland is a great structure, an amateur structure. We've got four, five big uh, amateur titles. We call them the majors. You got the north, south, east, and west of Ireland, 
Uh, and then you've got the Irish Championship as well. And they're all played on Lynx golf courses. So the South, as you say, is played in uh, Le Hinch. The North is played uh, up in uh, Port Rush. The East is played in, in County Loud in Baltray. And the West is played over in Ross's Point. Four fantastic golf courses. But it's all match play. Uh, it's 36 all qualifying and then straight into match play. So you're playing against these old dogs, like these old warriors, these guys who've been around the block a long, long time uh, in terms of match play. And and as a young guy coming through, you cut your teeth off them and you watch what they do and you, you listen to them in the bar afterwards. You listen to the tricks of the trade. You listen to what you have to do. You know, match play is all about a sprint. It's about coming out of the blocks fast. It's been, you know, getting one or two up and, and, and then kind of controlling the game from there, putting pressure on your opponent. So all of that stuff, that DNA stuff, I learned as an amateur in Ireland. And then when I became a pro, probably, you know, my record, my record was good as a pro, but my record as a, as a, as a match player was exceptional. Um, and, and because I love that kind of the sprint element to it, you know, a four round tournaments, I found it hard like school to keep my concentration for four rounds. But you give me an 18 hole match and I somehow I, I was able to go a lot better. And, you know, my results were certainly very, very good when I did play match play. So uh, I, I loved it. I love the cut and thrust of it. I love the psychology of it. Uh, and, you know, this is one of my favorite tournaments of the year this week to cover with Sky uh, because, I, you know, I love reading the matches. I love reading the psychology of it. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about kind of what your approach was, but you broke it down right there in, in great detail. I guess what is maybe your favorite, what's your go-to memory if kind of you had a match tomorrow and you needed to kind of get yourself in the right mindset? Would you kind of, if you laid your head down on your pillow at night, would, would there be maybe a memory that you would think about from your playing days of a specific match? Oh, yeah. I mean, the obvious one is holding a winning pot to, in the Ryder Cup in 0-2, um, you know, at about a 12-foot pot. It's a bit like catching fish, John. The older you get, the longer the putt gets. Uh, so <laughs> it was maybe it was 10 feet. Um, but it had a, quite a big break. It was about a cup, a cup and a half break from left to right and playing against Jim Furyk. And that was to win the Ryder Cup. And I hold it. But, you know, I often go back to that place in my head, um, you know, not for egotistical reasons, but for, for reasons of uh, being in the zone. I was so in the zone at that moment in time. And in fact, in all of that game, I was in the zone. And certainly coming down the stretch and, and into that putt, I was so consumed with the process of holding the putt. Um, I, I knew the pressure was there and I knew what was at stake and I knew everything that was going on. I was very aware. And you got 30,000, 40,000 people around the green and back up the fairway with this sense of anticipation as everything goes quiet. Of course, you have the butterflies and all the stuff going on. Um, but also the big thing was I was in the zone and, and, and as much as that was going into my head, it was going out because it was so consumed, as they say, in the process, which is uh, being in the zone and, and you know, executing the putt. Um, and I saw the putt, you know, and when I saw it, I hit it quite quick because, you know, when you get it, when I get a picture of it, I want to go. Uh, and, and that's what I did. I got a picture of it. And I, honestly, I, I hit the most perfect putt. Even if I hadn't have gone in, it was the most perfect putt. And uh yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, feel very fortunate that at that moment in time, I was able to hit a great putt right. and, 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 and read it right and, and, you know, and right in the middle. Well, golf, I mean, you're always battling out there. That's incredible insight. I mean, you know, as a pro, you know, playing for your livelihood, like it's a totally different level. And I've seen it up close on the other side of the bag. But it sounds like in that particular moment, I mean, there was really even no doubt that that was in your head on that one. Yeah, again, as I say, I saw it. And, and when I see things, same even now, when, when I see a shot, I stand into it and I hit it and I hit it quick. I don't hang around. Um, and uh, I think the best players are that. You know, Rotella wrote a lot about that as I subsequently started to learn about psychology of the game and read his books and, you know, spend a bit of time with him. I started to realize that, that um, you know, golf is a reactionary sport. Certainly for me, it is anyway. Standing over the ball and looking at it and thinking of three or four things and then pulling the club back is never works for me. 
I work best when it, when a target is alive and I can see the target. It's one, two, bang, go. Um, so so illuminating those targets for me was it was a big key. It still is a big key. Gotcha. And you mentioned Bob Rotel there. I think Seamus started working with with Doctor Rotella here in the last couple of years. I think is Rory working with uh, Bob Rotella yeah. a little bit now yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think he's brilliant. You know, his track record speaks for itself. Uh, in what he's done. I mean, there's no doubt Seamus and Rory have both gone to different levels since they've started working with him. And it's not, you know, it's not deep psychology lying on a couch and telling me about all your childhood stuff. It's none of that. It's all about performance stuff, getting on the golf course, seeing shots, visualizing, being reactionary. Uh, and, and also, you know, not letting stuff get in your head that shouldn't get in your head. Right. Uh, I think he's been very instrumental last year in Rory's success. Um, you know, taking all the live stuff and all the noise and the fact that Rory was front. Uh, front and center of everything and taking that and using it in a constructive way to use it as energy for Rory and focus for Rory. Um, I, I think Rotella was a huge big part on that. And, you know, Michael Jordan, when you talk about the, about the shows, you know, the last dance and, you know, one of the things he talked about was harboring grudges, you know, you know, I liked when somebody put it up to me or somebody gave it to me and the trash talking on the court, because that's what fired me up. That's what gave me fuel. And, you know, everybody's got to have fuel. And, and, and when you get that fuel, it's got to be harnessed and, and used in a constructive way. And I, I really do think that Rotella had a big influence on, on, on using all the noise that Rory was coming Rory's way last year in a constructive manner for him to play as well as he did. Man, he played so well. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how it, you know, comes out for him this year as we're kind of on the eve of the Masters. I'm curious why we're on the match play in the Ryder Cup. I mean, it is a Ryder Cup year in Rome in September. Uh, I know you'll be a part of all of that. I'm curious just on Seamus real quick, you know, a guy that's just ascended up the world rankings. He finally found a caddy that he could talk hurling with and, and, and he's, he's winning golf tournaments and, and you know, I'm, I'm really happy for him. I, I, I'm curious though, as somebody that's seen guys try to make the Ryder cup team, you know, successfully, some maybe have not just, if you can kind of talk a little bit to maybe what he's going through this year as he tries to kind of let his golf speak for itself and, and find his way onto that team come September. Yeah, I mean, look, he's in pole position to make the team, John, after such a brilliant year last year. And the fact that he's got himself comfortably inside the top 50 in the world has elevated him into all of these big events where the big points are. So, you know, um, it'll be hard to miss from here. Um, you know, we got <clears throat> Lucas got six picks. And even if he falls down to sixth or seventh, you know, I still fancy him. And, and his world ranking remains high. I still fancy him to be one of the picks, even though he might be a rookie. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a changing of the guard going on in Europe, as you know. We've lost a lot of players, obviously, to live. And also, you know, guys are getting older as well, too. So we're, uh, there's a changing of the guard going on. And, and we're looking for guys like, um, like Seamus and Straka as well, too, Seb Straka. You know, those guys in particular, you know, who are well inside the top 50 in the world and, and you know, having good success on the, on, on the PGA Tour and won't be intimidated playing against PGA Tour players. We're, we're looking at those guys, hopefully, to step in, right. uh, in, in on the back. You know, we, we've got six or seven guys that, you know, me and you could sit down here and talk, starting with Rory and Ram and, you know, going down to Fleetwood and Hovland with Fitzpatrick and Shane Larry. And, you know, you can get to six or seven very quickly um, of guys that we know are going to be yeah. in. So th those five um, are, are going to be the interesting ones. Um, you know, and, and obviously Seamus and, and, and Strack in particular are two. And, and, and a couple of rookies, you know, Bob McIntyre won around that golf course last year. He's got a bit of flamboyance about him. He's got a little bit of arrogance about him, which is good. You know, all players need that confidence. And, and you know, I think he'd be a great Ryder Cup player should he make it. So we're keeping an eye on that. But, you know, it's all things. It's, it's all about form. You know, one of the things that I've learned about Ryder Cups and certainly the ones that I played in and, and was involved in in the management is that uh, you can't beat form. You know, yeah. guys, we all go, we all come in and out of form and we all come in and out of confidence. And, 
you want to get as many guys high on confidence come the end of the year uh, going into the Ryder Cup as possible. Right. The U.S. was a great side last time around, I guess, at Whistling Straits. I mean, and I was kind of uh, – I was pulling for the U.S., but I was also pulling for Padre because I like him so much. Um, I guess – that was, I mean, Europe has dominated this thing. You know, is there any bit of you, I don't think you would admit to this, but that, like, as as the U.S. found an edge in this thing at all going forward, or does it still always just sit with Europe because you guys have so much entrenched about the match play and your process is so good? You did mention a little bit of a changing of the guard that's going on, and I do want to talk a little bit about how the live ripple down has been. But, you know, does the U.S. have any sort of an edge now? They obviously have the cup. Yeah, I, I think uh, I said it in I said it last year at Whistling Straits when I saw saw um, and, and I watch a lot of the press conferences and listen to Steve Stricker talk in particular. Um, I think America are better not just on the golf course. I mean, they've always been good on the golf course. We know that. Obviously, they're very very strong now, and there's a new uh, there's a new crew in there now, a younger crew uh, who certainly seem to get on very well, and doesn't seem to be any flies in the ointment in there causing any problems for them. So there's there's lots of uh, lots of good talent, and they all seem to get on well. That's important. But also from the management point of view, you know, I say I like to study match play and, and you know, I, I study the captains as well, too. And I get a lot out of what they say and their answers to interviews. And, and it gives me a kind of an indication as to what they're going to do, what decision making they're going to make. Uh, and, you know, what, leading into the Ryder Cup last year, uh, having watched uh, and studied uh, Steve Stricker, I, I knew Europe were in trouble. Um, you know, because I, I think America are better off the golf course now than they've ever been. Right. Uh, and I know that this, the task force was ridiculed uh, at the start when it came along. But I think a lot of good positive things from an American point of view happened on the back of that. Um, it's also collided with a downturn for us. You know, we weren't very good at Winston Straits, as good as America where we didn't play very well. Our scoring against the golf course was really, really poor. So we need to raise our standards. Um, and, and, and I think that's what the big focus is with Luke. You know, I've been speaking to Luke quite a bit over the last few months. And, you know, he calls me up a number of times. I'm happy to give him any kind of uh, guidance and, and insights that I have. And, you know, it's important that he uses sounding boards like me and other guys as well, too, to, uh, to, to cut his teeth and formulate his ideas. Because we need to raise our performance, John. And, and that's the reason why we lost so heavily at Whistling Straits. <clears throat> even though the media out there is going to tell you, oh, this is the best ever American team. America were phenomenal. Nobody would have beaten them, blah, blah, da, 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 da. Uh, I get that. They were good, and I don't want to diminish how good they were. But I also, we need to highlight the fact that how far off the pace we were in terms of scoring against the golf course. Right. You know, we, we were miles off. So we need to improve our performance. Well, you bring up two interesting points there, because I didn't realize that there's a, a t- basically a committee of five guys that help to select the captain every time around, and you're on that committee, I guess. Can you just shed a little bit of light on that process? Yeah, I was I was on it by default this year. Normally, what we do, John, is we take the three most most recent captains and them along with uh, with Keith Pelly and 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 a nominee from the players' committee are the five who normally do it. So obviously, you know, because I've done, you know, it's been three Ryder Cups since I was captain, so I wasn't part of the decision. First of all, that picked uh, Henrik Stenson right. because my three year term was up. Uh, the, the the three involved there were Thomas Bjorn, Darren Clark, and and, and Podrick on top of Keith Pelly and a couple of David Howell, who was representative of the of the players' committee. And then um, what happened was um, Henrik obviously went to live, and we had to find a new captain. So um, because Thomas Bjorn, there was a bit of talk that maybe you know they need to recuse him away from that conversation because there is a body of opinion to think that we maybe we we may be going back to 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 uh, you know to an to an older captain. And, and, and Thomas was obviously the standout candidate with that, having had such great success in, in France. So he was asked to be recused from that meeting. So they asked me to go in on a temporary basis. Wow. 
so that's how I <clears throat> excuse me that's how I was involved in the in in the decision making for Luke um, gotcha um, and then the other thing that you were kind of getting at there, which I'm really fascinated by, because there's a couple things that have happened in the last few years. I mean, live, yes, and I, I do want to discuss that. But one thing that's really taken off in the last 10 years that I know was really good for the European Ryder Cup team that's just huge in golf right now is stats and, and using stats and analytics to kind of drive your performance. I, I'm just kind of interested to hear your take on kind of where that is uh, how that's kind of infiltrated the game of golf now and, and how valuable you think it is. Yeah. I mean, I could talk a whole lot about it, but I don't want to give away too many secrets as well, John. Uh, um, I was the first captain uh, on either team to use a professional statistics team in 2014, use a company called strokeaverage.com. They were working with a lot of players on, on, on our team at the time. Uh, and, and I, you know, got budget when I got the job, I got budget to, to basically employ them for the, for the 18 months that I was captain to monitor and watch. Um, and the first thing I got them to do was, was to, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in horses for courses. And I know you are too, and you're great at giving tips in the golf and you understand it. You understand <laughs> guys and you understand how suited Bill they are to the golf course. You throw it in with a bit of form, you know, when you come up uh, with your, with your, your knowledge of the players as well and what's going on in the private lives and what's going on with the caddies and all that, you know, when you come up with your opinions and, and I'm a believer in that too. Uh, that's kind of how I do my, my, my TV work and, and um, how I garner my opinions. Um, but one of the things that I'm a big believer in is horses for courses. So the first thing I do is look at the golf course and the suitability for certain styles of players. Um, so that's what I got them to look for in. Um, that's what I got them to look for in uh, England Eagles. You yeah. know, go away and, and and give me the correlations in the last ten Johnny Walkers that have been played at that golf course between the guys that have won or the guys that top ten and what statistic category they they they, they were really strong in. Um, and you know, a number of things came out. Big hitting was an important one. Um, uh, another one is a big, long, wet golf course, and it was going to be played at the end of September. The chances were the weather was going to be, uh, was not going to be great and it was going to be cold. The ball wouldn't be flying. So, you know, so, so I had a, a real eye, uh, on players, um, uh, that were power players, you know, you know, rather than finesse players. And, and, uh, I, I felt that I, I really needed that. Um, so, so. That's where we, we started with that and it moved on to, you know, being a success and now the Americans do it and all of our teams do it. And, you know, it's a big, big part of it now. But, you know, I just I, I just a cautionary tale as well, too. You know, there's a great line. Um, I remember watching that talk about press conferences. I was a vice captain of Monty in uh, 2010 in uh, Celtic Manor. And I was I was at the press conference that Corey Pavin uh, was, was holding. I was hiding down the back because um, he couldn't see me. But I just wanted to hear what he had to say. And he made a brilliant, brilliant point. Um, somebody asked him, you know, Corey, um, you know, what have you learned? What have you learned in your, um, you know, in, in your two-year two journey now as captain to come to here? You know, uh, has anybody given you good advice? And he said, yeah, I, I don't know who the football coach was. It might have been Belichick, but I'm not so sure. Uh, and he said, yes, Corey, the best advice uh, I can give you is always remember to make the big thing the big thing. And I've taken that huge, I thought, wow, that's so, that's so insightful. And, and I've certainly used that. And I'm always mindful when it comes to statistics that you don't get bogged down in Manichai and you don't get bogged down in the, you know, the, the marginal gains, as they call it, and the half a percent here and a 1% there and a 2% there. It's like, get the big things right. Get right. the partnerships right in the foursomes. There's eight matches in the foursomes. You know, we won the foursomes 7-1 in Glen Eagles, and that was the basis of our win. You know, I worked hard on getting those pairings together. That's far more important, getting all those pairings right and the suitability to the golf course than it is kind of, well, you know, 
you know, you need to use this golf ball or you need to use right. this golf ball, you know, something that's a little bit smaller. Um, not, not diminishing that in any way. You've got you to be aware of that, but it's important to make sure, as I say, make the big thing the big thing. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm interested a little bit to hear your take, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but you did mention how kind of the change in the guard and, and some of your guys that, you know, you played alongside, you know, are now on the live tour. Um, you did resign recently from the DP World Tour board. Uh, you kind of said, you know, hey, I'm in the media game a little bit more. There's some conflict of interest, which, you know, I think that stand-up of you. I, uh, but you did, in, in kind of a quote, you kind of said, you noted how there's going to be challenges ahead for that tour. There's challenges for the PGA Tour right now. I guess uh, I'm, I'm curious about what you see those challenges might be. And then do you see a world in which these two tours, um, or three tours, I guess I should say, and then there are more than that, but the live tour and then the DP and the PJ tour can kind of coexist and both be successful. Yeah, I do. I, I you know, and, and in, so, in a lot of ways I'm, I'm, I'm regretful that I'm not part of the board anymore in that big decision-making because I really enjoyed it. I stand by all the big decisions that the European tour have made um DP world tour have made. Uh, it's a very, very bright board with some very, very clever men and women on that board. You know, several of them are billionaires they come from a great world of business and, and, and structuring deals and, and, and understanding the game uh, and understanding membership organizations as well, too. So I stand by all that we've done so far uh, from a European perspective. I stand by Keith Pelley and, and Guy Kinning, who I think are brilliant. Uh, and uh, so let me just retrace. I think it's a, yeah, I think your, your listeners will be interested in this, John. I'll just retrace a little bit um, because not a lot of people, uh, they kind of gloss over it, but don't really know the ins and outs of it. And I just want to kind of give a background to that relationship between the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour now. So let's just talk about two titans, right? There's two titans going on. There's the PGA Tour, and now Saudi have come on with Liv. And we're the little guy in the middle. European yeah. Tour is a little guy in the middle that's going to get crushed by one of these two. So we had to hitch our wagon on one side. So we had two choices here. We could cozy up to the Saudis and we could try to do a deal with them. Um, or we could try to do a deal with the PGA Tour. I was always in favor of the PGA Tour of being the deal. Now, when you're representative of 500 members like we are on the board, we've got to do what's best for those memberships and secure their future. And going over and, and trying to do a deal with the Saudis, if we had have done that, that would have come with a lot of risk. First of all, the BGA Tour would have excommunicated us. Right. We would never have done any business with them again. That would have been fine. But okay, we would have had the Saudis around us. But what happens, now you're at the beck and call of the Saudis. And what happens after a year or two, they change strategy and go, eh, you know what, this golf's not working out. I want to go in a different direction. I want to go into soccer. Now we're high and dry. So we, you know, we, we were in a very, very volatile situation if we even tried to do a deal with the Saudis. So, so the PGA Tour was the right deal for us. Um, the, the, the second thing I'll say is that, you know, we've been dismissed and, and, and some, some of the players you've mentioned it there are very quick to say it unfairly uh, and call us a feeder tour. And, and, and my argument with that is when have we ever not been a feeder tour? You know, any player worth his salt who gets to a decent level, including me, no matter where you ever want to go the last 30 years, every single one of them, when he gets to a certain level, top 50 in the world, they bolt over to America because right. that's where the big money is. Right. Of course, we come back and we play the European tour events. So, yes, we are a feeder tour. And what this deal has done is formalize that situation. We're still going to have moments in the year when we'll have our time to shine. We'll have Abu Dhabi and Dubai at the start of the year. You know, we're around the Scottish Open in the middle of the year, obviously, with co-sanctioned event. And then at the end of the year, post-FedEx, you know, we're cultivating now what a new schedule will look like for the European Tour. Yeah. So we did a phenomenal deal with the PGA Tour that secures the future for all of the members for 13 years. 
uh, at these record price funds that we have in Europe at the moment. Uh, and, and I think it's a it's a great gateway now. We're a great great way for so many players getting onto the PGA Tour and also coming back, but not dismissing the fact that we also have times to shine. And we will have kind of 10 tournaments a year where we'll be the number one tournament uh, in the world at that time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's a great deal. And, 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 and I'm very much rode in behind the future uh, with the PGA Tour. Uh, and, and I think, you know, time will prove. I, I really do feel time will prove that's correct. Yeah, no, I think it's a good move. And you laid it out well. It has been interesting to notice how those guys that, you know, have status on the DP World Tour and are on the Live Tour have managed a way to kind of play both and and maybe that's a little bit of a model for how things can be going forward i don't know uh it's such a complicated thing um and and golf's changing a lot uh i I was interested a little bit uh your take on the modern style like tiger and rory have this new league that's going to kick off next year where they're kind of being playing in simulators televised i mean Golf is so much different than, than it was even five years ago. Um, I'm just kind of your take on just kind of where it's going. Are, are you pleased with where it's going? Yeah, listen, I mean, the first thing is what a time to be a player. What a time to be a good player, John. I mean, the money is just off the scale, huge. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, there's lots of new initiatives going on. You know, the, the full swing going on on Netflix, that's bringing more people into the game. Um, you know, players being interviewed as they play the golf tournaments as well, too. That's bringing it in. I know TV are changing the production and the addition of Shot Tracer over the years has brought it to a new level. How do we ever watch golf without Shot Tracer? Right. What I say now is that it's so brilliant. Um, and, you know, I mean, these elevated events, these designated events that are going to happen next year, hopefully all the players are going to turn up and play those. And we're going to have like a Premier League of events that everybody's going to tune into and, 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 and you know, the tour can promote around. Uh, and, then, and then the most important thing is, though, that, that there's, a, there's a feeding system. There's a feeding system into these events. It's yeah. not a closed shop. Uh, and, and that's what it is. You know, you're talking about 75 to 80 players in each of these events, but only 50 will be exempt um, from, from the FedEx. So that means there's 30 spots open um, for, for guys from the PGA Tour and from the DP World Tour to maybe, you know, elevate them and work, work their way uh, in, into those events. So the future is good. And, and uh, the game has been shaken uh, to its foundations. There's no doubt about that. And, um, but I don't think it's done us any harm. And I, right. I think it's certainly done the players a lot of favors, but I also think the game uh, will be a better place on the back of it. How about a uh, quick shout out to your boy, Padraig Harrington, uh, going to be inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. Uh, he's been playing awesome on the Champions Tour. Uh, just maybe some words on on just how incredible of, of a player and a guy he is. Yeah, I mean, he is. He's unique. There's no doubt about that. He is unique. You know, I, I've known him. We went to school together, John, uh, before we even played golf together. Um, we're from the same part of Dublin. Uh, we played in the same football team. We grew up and then we started playing golf together as amateurs. He's I think he's about five years younger than me. And um, he's come from a long way back. And, mm. that, and that's what, what I can say about Pardick more than anything. You know, I, I think more than anything, when I think of Pardick, I don't think of his, his, of his game. I, I think of his mind and I think of his drive and his ambition and his love uh, for the game. He absolutely loves it. And I think of, um, I think of how far back he came, you know, because when he was an amateur and played Walker Cup in, 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 uh, in 1991 in Portmanic, to be quite honest, he wasn't a very good player. And if you'd have walked onto that range in 1991, seeing Phil Mickelson warming up and David Duval warming up and then Pardick Harrington beside them, and you said, yeah, those three guys are going to be Hall of Fame. You'd have said, three, you mean the other guy? You mean the Irish guy as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was that far off the pace. Really, yeah. He couldn't get the ball airborne. It was a low cut. Uh, so to change his golf game 
uh, and have the success that he did uh, and the belief that he did because you know he he broke down he broke down the barriers um uh, uh, certainly for most Europeans in terms of winning major championships you know there was a flurry of Europeans winning on the back of Pardic opening the door with his win uh, of you know guys around around our era and um yeah I mean look it, 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 I think it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to be uh, inducted um and it's obviously richly deserved and um he'll make a great speech but the only thing about it is they're going to have to, you know, when they do with the Oscars, put on the music at a certain amount of time. <laughs> they've talked too much. They're going to have to get some loud music because <laughs> he ain't going to shut up when he starts talking. That's funny. Well, I, I know we got to, we're almost at that moment. I think I want to spend a couple more times with you, if you can, uh, a couple more minutes with you, if you can, and then I know you got to get on with your day. Yeah. Um, we're on the eve of the Masters. Uh, Rory and the Masters this year, do you have a take on just kind of what we might be able to expect from him there this year? Yeah, I think... I think he's better prepared to win this uh, Grand Slam than he's ever been before, John. I really do. I, I love the work he's done with Faxon. I love the work that he's done with Rotella. Um, I know his putting has been a bit off this year so far, but again, he's an inspirational player that can come around quick. I think he's on the right track, certainly, with the stuff that he's doing with, with Faxon. Um, and I think mentally he's in a great place, as he proved last year. You know, take all that weight of expectation and stuff on his shoulders and, and deal with it. So, you know, I, he came second last year. I think that will give him confidence, too. Uh, and yeah, uh, you know, if, if he can deal with all the noise that's gone on off the golf course for him and come with a fresh mind and come fresh, um, you know, there's no, I, I really do think probably in the last 10 years, this is his best chance of winning, winning it. I really do think that he's, uh, he's primed. I really do. Um, and, uh, but look, the competition is high, you yeah. know, I mean, you talk about who you're going to pick to win there. God, Scotty Sheff, look at the form he's got, you know, Justin Thomas, you know, he's a kind of style of player that you would think, cause he works the ball so well, will win around there. His shot game is so brilliant. Uh, certainly his chipping is and you know we expect him to be a to be a contender around there and of course John Ram you know John Ram's record around Augusta is absolutely phenomenal and and again you know it'd be a brave man to say that he's not going to have a, a, at least one green jacket and probably a few by the end of his career and you know it's only a matter of time before he starts winning them so the competition is intense um but yeah I, I like the look of Rory but he's only one of of, of a lot of four yeah. horses there and horses that could win yeah I've been really impressed too with this caddy Harry I mean he's a big asset for Rory now I mean Harry's you know come a really long way in in the caddy yard I mean he's 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 a really big uh, help for Rory out there. So I think they've got a lot of, you know, reps under their belt. I think that'll be yeah. interesting to, to see this year too. And and yeah, you're kind of getting your voice tuned up a little bit for live from, uh, you get to work with Brandel Chambly. Uh, you guys are a great one-two punch. I mean, how much have you been enjoying doing the live from broadcast uh, at the majors? It, it's been a hit. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. It's it's. I really love I love Brandel. I love working with him and Rich as well too, who's great at at, uh, at working the two of us. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. You see, Sky is owned by Comcast and Golf Channel and NBC are also Comcast, so we're all under the one umbrella. So last year they they moved me in in a temporary role. Uh, to work with Brandel and obviously went well and now I'm contracted for a few years to, to do that show with him. So it's the majors, uh, the TPC. I do six events, the majors, the TPC and the Ryder Cup. I'll be doing it live from this year with Brandel and Rich. And I love it. I think he pushes me. Um, I like to be prepared. Uh, and I know if I'm going up against him, um, he's going to be prepared. So as as much as prep, as what keeps me motivated when I'm doing my prep, Brandel's doing more than this. I got to do more. I got to do more. And I'm, I'm you know, I, you know, when we know, like, obviously, you know, the equipment debate at the moment, for example, is going to be talked about in probably the Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday of the uh, of the Masters. And, you know, so I'm doing a whole load of prep. And like like a lawyer, I'm building my case uh, on what my position should be and right. how I'm going to present it. 
Um, and then, you know, we'll obviously be talking about Tiger and I'll be, you know, formulating ideas on, on Tiger and, and, and stuff that we're going to talk about Tiger. And, you know, then we're going to talk about Rory in the Grand Slam. So so that's what I do in terms of my prep and, and, and kind of formulating like a lawyer would, formulating my case and, and what my opinions would be. But if I'm going to be challenged by him, I got to have the prep to come back at him. Right. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's, that's what's really important about doing the prep. And just to give you an example of that, last year uh, we were talking about Dustin Johnson and, um, uh, and, uh, you know, I did a piece on, you know, he's working on a swing. I'd be talking to Claude. I figured out what he was doing. Claude, they said they'd figured things out. He's starting to play better, da 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 And, uh, you know, Brandel came back basically straight away and said, Paul, I think that's rubbish. I think he's playing terrible. I don't like the way he's swinging. He's bam, bam, bam. So as he's saying this, I'm thinking, oh, my God, where, where am I going to come back to on this? Uh, but this is the value of prep. And luckily, as, as he's talking, I'm thinking and I'm going into the files in my head. What else have I got on him? Uh, and luckily, you know, I, I, I remembered that he had, um, he, he was second in greens at regulation that day. Um, so I said, Randall, you know, I take your point. If you, if you, if you think he's playing badly, the guy who's still second in greens at regulation today, he had, you know, 15 greens out of six. So it was like, you know, that's the value of the prep. And that's yep. where you gotta, you gotta be able to hold your ground. And if you're going to go against Randall, be ready because he's going to come at you again. Yeah, I feel like Brandel is willing to take the other side just to take the other side a little bit. I think yeah. you're a little bit more true to, to what you think, but I think Brandel's tremendous, and, and people have to tune in this year to watch that. I mean, you're right. You mentioned the golf ball, the 13th holes linked in this year. Uh, yeah. You know, the golf ball debate will ensue. I saw your position on that. It's just kind of like, let's wait and see. You know, I'm kind of yeah. wondering if we're overreacting to how much of an impact it may have or – also maybe overreacting, um, you know, to, you know, whether, um, you know, golf needs that right now, you know, so it'll be interesting to see that play out. I, I, I ask all my guests this one, and I also want to tell people they can go to your website and you have a book, which I'm going to, uh, you know, email your assistant, get a copy of your book, uh, which is yeah. called landscape of success, landscape of success. I want to get a copy of that. I think other people should inquire about that, but I always get people out of here with one question, uh, you finished 18th at the Masters. I think it was it was 04, maybe, 03. I was looking. Yeah. Um, I caddied there once. Let's say that we're playing this year. You're playing You're playing well. You've got the lead for uh, on Saturday evening. I've been caddying for you all week. We've been getting along great. I go out that night. I slip and fall and break my leg, so I can't go on Sunday. Uh, you can call anyone person in the world to loop for you on Sunday to get you across the finish line. Who are you going to yeah. call to caddy for you? Yeah, great question. Grabbing the head that one before, John. Great question. <clears throat> um, I think at that stage, your head will be all over the place. Um, and, you know, you want stability. So I think I would probably go. Yeah. You're probably not going to get anybody at the last minute to fly over, but no, my, you my will. You can is, have anybody. You, you can have anybody you need. You can have anybody. Well, you my, need. But my first instinct would be, you know, stability. Um, you know, you need to stabilize things again. So my first instinct would be go back to a caddy who's caddy for me before, who understands me and understands my game. That'd be my first instinct. And if one of them was available or around, uh, that's seamless. You know, he's worked with me before, and you know, off we go. Uh, that'd be my first, my first thought. Um, you know. Other than that, I don't know where I would go after that. Um, you know, we, I, I guess a coach would be the next one in. You know, again, a coach who's, you know, knows me and would have known my game. You know, so you're looking for somebody in your team, John, who who is stable. Uh, I think that's the second 
person that I would think in. Gotcha. So it's not a very sexy answer. Sorry. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> hey, well, I want to, I want to appreciate, I appreciate you coming on today. This has been great to catch up with you. Really enjoy watching what you're doing and, and, you know, appreciate you giving us your opinions here, you know, for uh, 30, 40 minutes uh, and be, you're a first guest on our new podcast. So thank good. you. Well, the very, very best of luck to John. I'm always there if you want me on again. And, uh, yeah, best of luck with it. You're so, a great guy. I love what you do. I watch all your betting stuff. And uh, I, you're part of my prep, by the way. I love it. You're part of my prep. Thank you I so have much. You're one of my favorites. All right, perfect. So uh, keep up the great work with that. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, you know, betting is going to become bigger and bigger and bigger in this game. And, and I can tell you that also from, you know, being on the board um, and, and, you know, working with the PGA Tour as well, too, that, you know, this betting is going to, you know, when the technology is able to catch up a little bit better. Um, you know, betting is going to be a big part of, of the experience of watching golf. Uh, I know it's not everybody's favorite thing, but this option is going to be there for, to do it. And um, certainly coming from Ireland, we bet on everything, as you know, yeah. I mean, horses, greyhounds, right, right. dogs, donkeys, wherever right. you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have bets. So, you know, when, when there's going to be uh, betting on golf, uh, that's going to be perfect for, uh, for all the artists as well, too. And I, I, think it's going to, I think it's going to add. You talk about growing the game and where the game's going to be. I think in five years' time, it will become, a, a, you know, a, a natural part of, of watching the game. And, um, and um, you know, once the integrity, obviously, of all the betting stays in place, uh, I don't see a problem. You know, obviously, there's a lot of issues around betting. Uh, but, look, there's a lot of issues around alcohol and other kind of substance abuse as well, too. And, you know, like everything, it's just got to be managed. Gotcha. Hey, well, thank you, Paul. All the best. All right. Thanks, John. You're all the best to you, too. A Heard at Sports Network production. <laughs>